awesome. You know, I'm just amazed week after week at the quality of leaders that the Lord's put in our lives. I mean, not just at the podium, but just I was thinking about the kind of anointing it takes to lead a group of people into the presence of God. I've been to lots of places where they sing. And I'd rather have good singing than bad singing. <laughs> but uh, these guys aren't just talented. Like, they're great leaders. And I, I, I totally trust them. <laughs> just really good. And uh, just really, yeah, bless our team and, and Brian and Jen and everybody. I'm missing somebody, whoever else is involved in making sure that happens every week. Like... Ten times a week. Pretty amazing. Well, Happy New Year. (laughs) So good to be alive. Better than being dead. Why don't you just grab a hand and start the New Year out right? I don't know if I have this picture in here. This is a picture of the last couple that squeezed hands and a year and a half later got married. Carry it with me is a testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. So, squeeze the hand of the person next to you. In fact, we're not even going to do date. If you want to marry him, just squeeze their hand right there. I think we just skip dating. I don't even know if dating's in the Bible. Let's just, just do this, right? Why, this is better than eharmony.com or whatever that is. You just have harmony right here. The unity of the spirit and the knowledge of the Son of God. In fact, we just perform a wedding instead of even preaching right now. I'm a licensed minister. You squeeze their hand and stand up right now, and we'll just, Bill and I will marry you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a feeling some of you are standing already married, maybe trying to do it again. Well, Lord, we bless your people tonight. We bless your people. We thank you for joy and for fun and we thank you for just to, to be alive in this time and in, in history, in, in, in heaven's history. And we, we bless every marriage in this place. We pray that marriage would be held in high honor. God, we just bless every marriage. We pray that marriages would be so good that people would know they shouldn't cohabit. Our marriages would be so good, it would be a voice to cohabiting. Our marriages would be so good, it would be a voice to same-sex marriage. That our marriages would speak of, this is the only way it works well. We bless the marriages of this church. We bless the marriages of this movement. We would have the best marriages in the world. That divorce would no longer be named among us. That's just a good word right there. Yes, Amen, I like that. And bless the message, too, tonight. <clears throat> I'm really, I really am excited. I, I want to share about the power of belonging uh, message I've actually shared. Pieces of this message have been going on in my heart for uh, more than a year, so you're probably going to hear some repeat. I'm really excited for the season we're in as America, too. I just want to speak to that for just a couple of minutes um, I mean, to say that America's in transition, you don't, you don't have to be prophetic for that. 
But that's, it's going to be a really exciting transition. And I think the key word for the transition is flexibility. Like, be flexible. Um, I think that's going to be different than you think. I mean, no matter who you voted for, I think it's going to be different than you think. <clears throat> and uh, I, think that, I think that we're in a very exciting time. Of, um, uh, and I, I also believe that, <clears throat> that the church is going to play a very big role in the next 12 years. Hopefully even going forward, but I, I, I think I see the potter's hand on our country. And I... You know, sometimes when the potter is shaping you, it's not always comfortable. How many have ever been shaped by the potter? And you're like, something's going wrong, and you hear this word, it's like, no, something's going right. <laughs> you got bulges where you shouldn't have bulges, and he's just got you on the wheel there, and it's like, I'm dizzy. It's like, you're spinning. <laughs> so um, I'm, really, I'm really excited for the days ahead, and I'm... I have some things brewing in my heart about it, but I, I, don't, I don't have words for them yet. Um, so, I want to talk about the power of belonging. And uh, I think that, <clears throat> first of all, I've quoted uh, Brene Brown so many times in the last year and a half. I think that from outside the church, she's probably had the greatest influence on my life because she agrees with me. <laughs> and she's put some words, I think some, uh, the, the science and social community is, really embrace something that I, I really feel like um, the church has been trumpeting for years, but I think that Verne's uh, voice has been speaking into some realms that we've been held out of, and so it's really beautiful. She's put a little bit different language to some biblical principles that, that are pretty exciting to me. When uh, I go in the political world and I hear people quoting Brene Brown's power of vulnerability, and I'm like, that's all biblical stuff right there. She's put different words. She's speaking the language of Babylon, but the principles of the kingdom. So, so beautiful. But I, I just want to um, quote her one more time. She said, um, she's a, by the way, if you, haven't, um, if you haven't listened to the TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability, it's about 16 minutes long. It's excellent. No matter where you are in your life, it's excellent. I've probably copied and pasted the link for it 50, 60 times. And uh, it's just a great, I took uh, about 15, 16 pages of notes the first time I listened to it. And um, I I stopped it and rewound it several times. And it just puts really good language to some stuff that we we actually believe as as believers. And she talked about the fact, she's a social scientist, has three PhDs. I don't even know what you'd do with more than one. (laughs) If I had one, I'd just put in big letters, in bold letters after my name. Every time I sign my name, Chris Valden, PhD. But um, she, she, I'm not, I'm not going to tell the whole story again. But she, the social scientist, did six years of study on what is the, the core need of every human being, whether they're believers, black, white, no matter what ethnic group, what gender, what is their one core need that all humanity shares in common. And after six years of research, she said that we are neurobiologically wired for connection. It's the word belonging. That we are actually, listen to this. She said it this way. We are actually created, created to belong. And she said the greatest fear in the world is that you're not going to belong. That you're not going to fit in. 
Bill just shared a great quote with me from Robin Williams. He said, people say the worst thing in the world is to be alone. It's not true. The worst thing in the world is to be with people who make you feel alone. That is a powerful quote from a guy who took his own life. Probably speaking from his own person, you know, from his own experience. You know, the, the challenge is, is that we all have this deep desire to stand out, and yet this huge need to fit in. Do you have the same? Like, everybody, um, I'm, I'm saying, I understand we express it differently. Quiet people express it differently. We all have different personalities. Aren't you glad that God made flowers, and he made them different flowers, different colors, and that the same God who made the redwood tree also made the daffodil? <laughs> I don't get it. You can't build a house with daffodils. You can't eat a daffodil. It just says God likes cool stuff, right? So if God can have daffodils, I can have a yellow Corvette. It's the same principle right there. God adores beauty. I like it too. Especially like it when I'm in it. That's what I'm thinking. So we all have this deep need to stand out. I mean, we might call it different things, like a sense of significance. I, I want to be known. I, sometimes if I don't manage that thing in me that wants to be known, for some of us, we, we, we stand out in a way that is not so good. <laughs> I, I've been around people who are singing really loud in a crowd. Like, they think they're doing a solo, and I'm like, we're singing together. <laughs> Lord, you are worthy! I'm like, I'm five seconds from you right there, man. Like... Tone her down. We're getting it right here. And sometimes people just do things out of this neat, this desire to be seen and known. Piercing everything. I like piercings. They're awesome. Okay, let's move on from that, Chris. <laughs> we just. I'm trying to say that we, we. Everybody in this room has a deep need to be known. If you're like not me, it's because yours is being met. I'm saying, it, you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't feel like I need to be known. It's because you're already known. But if you, felt, if you felt invisible, guarantee you, you would, well, if you felt invisible, you would always, obviously, if you felt invisible, you wouldn't want to be. I'm simply saying that we have this deep desire to be significant, but we also have a greater desire to fit in. A desire to, to feel like people, like they embrace me, they like me, they, they, they know me, I'm a part of something. And so, um, you know, boys join gangs, dangerous gangs, to feel like they're a part of something. And, and I, I want to say that part of the challenge we have, and I, I would say it's in our nation, but I see it in... In most European nations, I see it in most of the world, we have lost a deep sense of family. And uh, I understand there's a moral issue when people cohabit or people have sex outside of marriage. I understand all that. But I would propose that the greater, if I say dysfunction, is that people don't connect anymore. They're not, they don't, children aren't raised in families. There's no place where you can say, you know, I, I, I was thinking, I was, there's no place you can say, that's my mommy, that's my daddy. And, and I, I think that lots of the sexual brokenness we see comes out 
of a deep need to belong in a family that didn't give it to you. I, I was uh, listening to an old song. Anybody like the oldies? You know what's wrong with the world? I listened to the oldie station. They're playing 90s. Dude, that's not oldies. There's an old song called Love Child, sang by the Supremes, I think. Uh, and I was just, it, was, it was on the radio the other day. I was working in my wood shop, and, there, and she's singing um, about, she's singing to her boyfriend that they should not have sex and have a child out of wedlock because the child wouldn't have a name. Love child, never meant to be. Love child, raised in obscurity. Love child, always second best. Love child, no name, different than the rest. And I'm thinking, in the 60s, they were saying, don't have sex out of marriage because you'll have a child and the child won't have a name. Part of belonging is that you have a name. What happens when you grow up in a family that cohabited or a marriage where people didn't marriage, didn't merge? Part of the challenge with marriages is that people marry, but they don't actually merge. And I'm saying when you grow up like that, you struggle to be a part of something, a family that has a name. Are you with me? The Lord's Prayer is... Uh, interesting for so many reasons uh, around here you know we, we talk so much about the prayer of the lord being heaven on earth but i love every part of this prayer pray then in this way our father who's in heaven hallowed be your name I, I, you know the the verses well but the part that struck me tonight as i was just preparing for tonight is it's our father not my father i don't come to god as an individual as much as i come as a member of a family. I'm not just a member of a family on earth. I'm actually a member of a family in heaven. I'm a part of a cosmic family, and I'm not required to say, oh God, I'm called to call him father because I'm a part of a family, a cosmic family. And when this father wanted to save the world, he didn't send just a Holy Spirit. He sent first his son. He sent a member of the family to make you a member of the family. And what I'm getting at is like, it's what Brene Brown said, people are neurobiologically wired to be connected. I'm saying, yes and amen, you were created to be a, a part of a family because you are part of a family. You're not an amoeba that evolved. I'm sorry, like, I have big problems with evolution because it takes us out of family. It says you don't really have a purpose. You just evolved over and just add a billion years to anything and it totally makes sense. Dead things come to life. Cars that couldn't create themselves just, you know, smash into each other. And if they do that for a billion years, a yellow Corvette drives out. It just makes perfect sense. Just stir in a billion years and it all makes sense. There was a bang and everything was dead and things that were dead suddenly became life. Perfect sense, right? No? Okay, well, add a billion years. Makes sense now, right? (laughs) But the biggest challenge I have with... I love science, by the way. I'm not an anti-science guy. I'm just an anti-stupid science guy. (laughs) I'm just an anti-stupid science guy. I actually love science and I actually believe God's invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. So I actually believe real science takes you right to God. 
But what I'm getting at is I don't like science that takes you out of belonging. I don't like science that takes away the idea that I was created in the image of God. It's important that I'm created in the image of God because I'm becoming like the God who created me. That was his desire from the beginning. So when I believe in evolution, I understand, you know, some people are like, you don't understand there's different kinds of evolution. I, 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 I'm not quite that ignorant anymore. But I don't believe in species evolution that's outside of species because God made everything after its kind. Why is all that important? Because if I, you know, if I was just came from a big burp or a bad bang, or, you know, an amoeba that just evolved over a billion years, I actually have no purpose. It's kind of crazy that, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching young people, you don't really have a purpose, and then people are running around asking each other, why was I born? <laughs> you know, it, is it logical for an atheist to ask why they're born? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, not too deep. But if I'm an atheist, I didn't have a creator, there is no divine, there's no divine design, there's no, then why would there be a purpose? You're a cosmic accident. You, you had a big bang, add a billion years to it. That's why you're here. You don't have any purpose. Why do you think people feel disconnected? And I'm saying that Brene Brown's right because she's speaking kingdom principles. You were born to be connected. And when you're not connected, you're never going to feel satisfied. You can feel, you can try to fill your disconnection with drugs or sex or alcohol or chasing money, all those things. And, and by the way, in the right context, some of those things, you know, having sex inside of marriage, um, you know, having things, nothing's wrong with that unless you're trying to replace people and God with stuff. And you just keep getting more stuff, and you're like, when I get that car, when I get that house, when I marry that babe, when I... No, it never works, because you were born to be connected. And when you're not connected, you're not yourself. I was thinking tonight, Joaquin was talking about the Declaration of Dependence, Independence. And I'm thinking, we should have a Declaration of Interdependence. Part of the challenge is that we've made freedom, and by the way, not freedom the way you were sharing it, not freedom the way we talk about it, but we've made freedom a God. And we've made freedom mean, I, I can do it my way, I'm all by myself. And it's like, I'd like to propose that you can't really do a dang thing by yourself. You couldn't even be born by yourself. <laughs> and you can't even, you wouldn't even live if your mama hadn't changed your diapers. You'd be drowning, it wouldn't be in the sea of love. You did... I'm simply saying, you were born to be connected, and if you're miserable, it might be because you're not connected. And the great fear that you have, the greatest fear in the world is not death. The greatest fear in the world is that you're going to reach out to someone, and they're not going to reach back. And by the way, you are not alone in that fear. Everybody in this room has that fear. We deal with it in different ways, and it comes in waves for most of us. When I'm feeling really secure, and you reach out to me, I mean, I reach out to you and you don't reach back, I might be fine because I have a thousand other people reaching to me, reaching out to me. But on the other hand, if I'm reaching out to you because I really have 
I really feel like I'm supposed to connect with you and you don't want to connect with me, that's tough. That's a great fear we have. The fear that you're not going to connect with me is the greatest fear in the world, according to Brene Brown. I'm going to reach out to you and you're not going to reach back. I'm going to say I love you. You're not going to say you love me back. I'm going to, I'm going to wave to you. You're not going to wave back. And we deal with it different ways, don't we? We say things like, ah, I don't give a rip. No, I don't care what anyone thinks. The more you say I don't care what anyone thinks, the more you actually care what someone thinks. Everybody in the world cares what people think. Now, you may not care what the guy on the bridge thinks, or you may not care what the Facebook guy thinks, but everybody cares what somebody thinks, right? If you don't, that's called mental illness. (laughs) Turn to John chapter 4. I want to look at the woman at the well story in light of connection. And actually, when I wrote the the book on uh, women... Empowering women. Yes, I wrote a book on empowering women. Come on, ladies. Thank you. I gave you a chance to connect with me. You didn't connect back and I just ran off the stage. Um, I wrote the book Fashion to Rain. I actually used this story, but I actually missed a piece of the story that I actually got about six months later. Um, actually, somebody else wrote about part of this story of the Samaritan woman, I thought it was so profound. I'd like to go back and edit uh, that chapter in the book because um, I'll I'll show you in just a minute. So uh, John chapter 4, did I tell you that? Verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? You are not greater than our father, Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall become in him a well, a water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to to, to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never be thirsty, nor come all this way to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and have him come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you, have fi- for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God's spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's also called the Christ. When, when that one comes, he will declare all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you. I who speak to you am he. <laughs> At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, 
Come see this man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? I, this is a really beautiful story, and um, I don't think I'm going to take a lot of time to unpack a whole bunch of facts that actually make the story come to light, but just to say a few things. One is, this is a Samaritan woman. Two things she has against her in this culture. She's a Samaritan, and she's a woman. So when the disciples come back, they are shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. She's shocked that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. So she is the epitome of, I would reach out and you will not reach back. But So she's got rejection, can you see it? Built in. She's like, he's going to reject me, he's a Jew, and he's a man. And so she's got, she's got on, I'll reject you before you reject me. Have you ever done that before? I'll let you know I don't care that you reject me, and I'll just reject you first. So she, start, she opens the conversation when he says, can you give me a drink? And she said, well, what are you doing asking me for a drink? You Jews, you know, you think you're better than us Samaritans. You think God came from your branch and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, why are you asking me for a drink? And she's just making sure, like she's, are you getting this? She's a woman who's expecting to be rejected. Instead of dealing her a rejection card, he says to her, well, if you ask me, <laughs> If you knew who was speaking to you and the gift that I am to you, you would ask me, I'd give you a drink. You'd never be thirsty. She immediately clicks into our father, Jacob. Are you following me? Did you get what just happened? She immediately says, your father and my father, not my father, Jacob, not your father, Jacob, our father, Jacob. What did she do to him? She, said, she feels his, you're going to reject me. Oh, you're not going to reject me. You're making a connection with me, and you value me. And, she, and he begins to do another thing that is completely illegal, and that is he begins to teach a woman. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the most famous rabbi named Elzer in the days of Jesus said, I'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. It was illegal to teach women in the days of Jesus. It was illegal. That's why every single gospel writer, all four gospel writers, make this statement. There was 3,000 men and women and children. Whenever they counted the gatherings, people, some people think, well, they didn't count the women because they didn't value them. No, no. The gospel writers were trying to tell you, when Jesus spoke, women were there. They were not trying to exclude the women. They were saying, and the women were there. It'd be like preaching in 1950 and saying, there was 3,000 white people and black people were there. You're not saying it to dishonor them. You're making a point, the black people were there. Are you with me? It's illegal to teach women. What's Jesus doing? He's teaching a Samaritan and a woman. And he begins to talk to her about the way the spirit world really works. What is he doing? I'm telling you what he's doing. He's connecting with her, and he's saying, I, you are valuable enough that I don't care what other men say about you. I don't care what the Jews say about you. I don't care what the male species says about you. You're worthy of connection. And he begins to connect with her. And when she feels connected, she starts to get it, and she connects back. And she says, our father, and she begins to ask him. She takes from, she goes from cocky 
to, hey, you guys say that we should worship here. Our father said we should worship here. Who's got it right? And she begins to, to take the humble position and say, I can learn from you. Are you, are you. are you watching what's happening? She's saying, I connect with you. He says, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. Now, this is the part I got wrong. And Jesus said, well, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. Probably like most of you, I always thought he was exposing her fornicating relationship. But it's not true. See, women did not divorce men. Only men could divorce women. This woman has been rejected five times. And the one she's with now has nothing to do with sexual relationship in the Greek connotation. Won't marry her. Like he won't even marry her. Jesus isn't saying, you sinner, I see you've been married five times, you finally told the truth. He's saying, I get that you've been rejected over and over and over and over and over, and now you have a guy, he still is rejecting you. But I connect with you. I connect with you. Because see, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, polygamy was legal. But divorce was so rampant that it would make American marriages look like a healthy statistic. In fact, when Jesus said to his own disciples, he quotes Genesis, and he said, A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God put together, let no man separate. And when the disciples realized that Jesus just said, marriage is forever, Peter turns to Jesus and said, who can accept this? Now, I understand there would be, be some people in America who could say that. But the average American wouldn't say that. The average American who may even get a divorce would say, well, I believe marriage is supposed to be forever. The disciples are in a culture where they threw women away like rags. In fact, they wouldn't even let... They didn't not only let a woman vote, a woman could not be a witness in a court case. You know why? Because Jews believe she was inherently a liar. So they couldn't own property. They couldn't be witnesses. They couldn't be taught the, the, the Torah. And Jesus is speaking to a woman and he said, I know five husbands threw you away, and the one you have right now, you fear he's going to throw you away too. But let me tell you something. I value you. I love you. The disciples get their comeback. You know, you can imagine. Got something to eat? Hey, you need some food? I got food you don't know anything about. They're talking amongst themselves. What's he doing talking to the woman? I don't know. You ask him. I'm not asking him. You ask him. And you'll notice that they stand there while the Lord finishes his interaction with the woman. What's he doing? He's not just connecting with the woman. He's teaching the disciples how to connect with the woman. He's saying to the disciples, this is how we treat people. The woman is so taken 
This woman who's been rejected. I mean, can you imagine? Divorced five times. Divorced. Five husbands divorced this woman. She's got a boyfriend that won't marry her. I mean, she's outcast of outcasts in her city. She goes back to her city. She begins to tell them, hey, I just met a guy. He told me everything I've ever done. But listen, here's the connotation. He didn't just tell me what I've done. He valued me anyway. That's what she's excited about. Not that he's told her all the stuff that she's ever done, not all, all, or all the stuff that's ever happened to her, but he treated her with value in the midst of her rejections. And she's a woman who's a Samaritan. Are you with me? And Jesus connects with a woman. And you know what happens? She goes back and transforms the city. One connected outcast. One connected woman, five times married. Who in the heck is going to listen to a woman in a culture in the first century who's been divorced five times and has got a boyfriend that won't marry her, and she goes back and transforms the whole city? Why? Because she made a connection with a man. It wasn't just words. She made a connection. She begins to say, our father, your father Jacob, gave us this well. And she understands that even though she's a Samaritan, she's a half-breed, and she connects with the side, the Jewish side. Remember, she don't, the Jews don't just hate Samaritans. The Samaritans hate the Jews. And she crosses over the line generations deep and says, your father is my father. We got the same father. He gave us both this well. You, you, are you getting this? They connect. And she goes back, one divorced five times woman, and changes the city. What would happen if you really knew you belonged? What would happen if you had no fear of disconnection? That you could be fully alive and fully yourself and totally transparent because you know you are loved even though you've been divorced five times. Even though you have the stain of a man who won't marry you. Suddenly I found someone who loves me in spite of everything I've ever done. See, this is powerful stuff. This is what people are looking for. People come to church, but they really desire to become the church. But the challenge is they get into the system. And by the way, I'm not talking about Bethel. I'm not talking about any church I'm thinking of in in particular. I'm saying they get into a system that is really a global orphanage. There's no fathers, there's no mothers, and there's a bunch of rules. By the way, here in the heart that I'm sharing in, Rules are good. (laughs) Rules keep your little boy from getting run over in the street. (laughs) Rules keep people from running a red light and killing somebody. You understand. But when the rules don't have, when I have to keep rules and I have no connection, I begin to hate the rules. Right? I mean, you have order in your house, right? You may not call them rules, but you have order in your house. So a certain time you sit down to eat, a certain time it's okay to get, get up, go to bed. I mean, the structure is not evil, right? People are like, are you part of organized religion? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a part of a disorganized one. <laughs> Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 
This is one of my very favorite stories in the entire Bible. I've taught on this so many times when I was a youth pastor. You could teach the same thing over and over because kids don't listen anyway. First Samuel chapter 22. We're picking up kind of in the middle of the story, so let me read the verses and I'll give you just a little a bit of the background. So David departed from there and escaped to the uh, cave of Adullam with his brothers and all of his father's house. And when, when his brothers and all of his father's household heard of it, they went down to there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him. And he became the captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. I don't know why, but it's almost humorous to me that, he, that the Bible names him as captain so early on. So, you know, David has, by this time, he's already killed Goliath. He's killed the lion. He's killed the bear. I'm just giving you a little chronology. He's probably early 20s. He served King Saul uh, to the place where the blessing of God was so on David's life that the king actually got jealous of David thinking, well, the people love David so much, they're going to they're gonna actually oust me and put him in. And David, over and over and over, acknowledges his loyalty to King Saul, but King Saul, his jealousy, it says an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul because of his suspicion, his fear, and his jealousy. Anyway, great, by the way, that shouldn't be passed over. Jealousy will kill you. Don't let it in your life. Are, are you with me? I think jealousy probably destroys, well, who knows, statistically. I bet you jealousy destroys as many relationships as just about anything else. Jealousy. The fact that you can't celebrate someone else's victory. The fact that when someone gets a new thing, you can't go, that's amazing. But in your heart, you're like, I should have that. The idea, do you know where jealousy comes from? And I'm not talking about godly jealousy, God's jealous of you. Someone wrote me and said, God's jealous, jealousy isn't evil. Well, read Galatians, it says it is. <laughs> it says that people that are jealous actually inv- invite witchcraft into their life. That's what Galatians says. You know where jealousy comes from, though? It comes from a poverty spirit. It says if you got something, that, then it came from the pie, that there's only one pie, and if you got it, I'm, that's less, than, less for me. Yeah. And I'd propose to you that God's eternal. If God wants more pie, he goes, let there be pie. (laughs) That's that's how God is. So I'm saying, when you're jealous, remember that you're in poverty thinking because you have a God that has plenty of love. So when God shows someone attention, he doesn't have to take it from you to give it to them. By the way, I don't know if you know this, people are like, you know... God's like this and God's like that. Like, Do you understand that God can have a conversation with 7.4 billion people on the planet simultaneously and call it personal? I'd say God isn't human. <laughs> Just a thought. It's like, God hasn't answered my prayer because he's working on other people. <laughs> Look at all the people in the prayer line. Oh my goodness, he's not going to be answered. No, no, he can multitask. He's the feminine side of God. That was, I don't know if that was true. It just came to me. So here's all these people. Let's let's read. They were distressed, in debt, and discontent. It sounds like Bethel. (laughs) It's the early days. Anyway, these are the men 
that David became captain over. Not, not exactly, you know, not exactly, this isn't exactly the church growth model, if you know what I'm saying. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now we're about 45 years later, and this passage begins with, uh, we're going to go to verse 8, but this passage begins with, these are the final words of King David. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshaphat, Bash, Beth, <laughs> the Tichomite. I don't know if he had Tichomite. He, I, I don't know if he had ticks. He was the chief of the captains, and he was called Ad, uh, Adoni. Adono? Hey, you laugh. I'll get your butt up here, and you can read it out loud. <laughs> the Estatite. Because of 800 slain by him at one time. And after him was Elzar, the son of Dudu. D-O-D-O is doo-doo. I don't care how you put it on paper. I'm sure it sounds like <laughs> in Hebrew. The Hanatite, the Hedatite, and three, um, one, of, one of three mighty men with David when he defended, when he uh, defended the Philistine, defeated the Philistines who were gathered at battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him to strip the slain. And after him was Shemaiah, the son of Agi, the Heretite, and the, the Philistines who gathered into a troop were there at the plot of ground, full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended, defended it and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the, of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time at the cave of Dolom where the troop of Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephim. And David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink, a water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is, in, which is by the gate. So three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out before the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. And Abishai, the son of Joab, the son of Zariah, that was chief of the thirty. And he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them, and had a name as well as the three. He was most honored of the thirty. Therefore he became their, cap- their commander. However, however, he did not attain to the three. Then Benaiah, the son of Jediah, the son of a valiant man named uh, man of Kabzil, Kabzil, something like that, Kabzil, who had done mighty deeds, killed two men of Errol of Moab. And he also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. I wouldn't want to do that if it wasn't snowing. <laughs> and he killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. Now the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jediah, did, and he had a name as well as the, three, as the three mighty men. He was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. I want to go back to um, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. They belonged to somebody. Are you with me? These 400 men, later on in the midst of 
David's fleeing becomes 600. These mighty men become the men whom David had. I want you to get this part. They belonged to someone. And because they belonged to someone, they became mighty. Because they belonged to someone, when the man they belonged to said, Oh, I'm so thirsty, man. It would be so cool to have some water from the well inside the wall. They go, let's get our, let's get our dad some water. They jump the enemy wall, grab a glass of water, and jump over. Why? Because they belong to somebody. I'm saying, you can't be great if you don't belong to anybody. There's no such thing as a maverick great man in God. There's no such thing as a noble person who's absent of relationship in the kingdom. These men were mighty men. They were the last thing David thought about before he died. He began to name them and their exploits, but he begins with, and these are the mighty men whom David had. Who do you belong to? See, belonging means I carry a family name. I have an identity. Number two, I am known. I have a community. Number three, I'm accepted. I have a people. Number four, I am valued. I am significant. Number five, I have ownership. I have a place. Number six, I have a responsibility. I have a role. Number seven, I have a common, I have a common core values. I have a people I think like. Number eight, I have the same vision. I have a common purpose. Want me to read them again? That's what it means to belong. I mean, practically. I, I carry a family name. I have an identity. Number two, I am known. I have a community. Number three, I'm accepted. I have a people. Number four, I'm valued. I'm significant. Number five, I share ownership. I have a place. Number six, I have a responsibility. I have a role. Number seven, I have, a com- I have common core values. I f- have a people I think alike. I have a people that I think like. Number eight, I have a common vision. I have with people that have the same purpose. This is what it means to belong. This is what it means to belong. I don't just come to church. I become the church. I become a part of the community. I don't just live in a city. This is my city. When somebody commits a crime in my city, this is my city. I take offense to that. Why? It's my city. When there's people that are homeless in my city, it matters. You know why? Because they're in my community. I don't say, well, push the poor people out. How many understand noble people realize those poor people are in your life by God? Those are your poor people. They're not just any poor people. They're not the poor people in Washington, D.C. They're not the poor people in L.A. I'm talking about you Reading people. If they're in our city, there are poor people. Why doesn't someone do something about that? I don't know. Why don't you? These are your poor people. I'm saying, when we say, I'm a part of a community, I'm a part of a family, it means I have a responsibility, I have a role, I am significant. I'm not just significant somewhere else. I'm significant here. I play a role. I'm a dad. I can't be a father to a nation if I'm not a father in my own city. Are you with me? When I drive by businesses and they close, that's my city they closed in. When the unemployment rate reaches 13, 14% like it did a few years ago, that troubles me. This is my city. 
Yes, I want L.A. to prosper. Yes, I want Washington, D.C. to prosper. I want the nation to prosper. But the place I live should prosper. I'm here. This is my community. When drugs are out of control, it's my problem. When we lived in Weaverville, this is our city. This is our city. We cared about what happened. When Planned Parenthood wanted to come into our city, they ended up there, but we took a stand. We're like, no, no, you're not coming into our city. This is our city. I'm sorry. We care about our nation, but this is our city. I was in a little mini mart called Tops Market one day, just home, going home after work, all dirty from work, working on cars that day. And these two teenagers were in Tops Market, putting stuff in their pockets. No, no, no. This is my city. And you're in a store that's in my city. These two 19, 20-year-olds. So they get to the counter. I'm watching. They pay for a couple of pieces of gum. They put about $200 worth of stuff in their pockets. The guy behind the counter saw them put stuff in their pockets, which really ticked me off. Because I own businesses in this community. If my employees saw them do that and didn't call the cops or shake them down, they'd be out of a job. This is the job that pays you and your family. So I get to the counter. I, I get intentionally behind them. I wait for them to pay. They pay for a couple packs of gum and a Coke. I said, hey, are you going to pay for that crap you put in your pocket? I said, what? What are you talking about, these two kids? You know, sarcastic kids. I said, that stuff you put in your pocket. Well, I wouldn't have any. So I grabbed the kid and I started shaking him. Stuff started falling out of his pocket. I said, that stuff. You pay for that stuff. My friend owns this store. You're in my city. This matters. You steal stuff, the prices go up to pay for it. It matters. There's a young single mom trying to make a living and she has to come in here and the prices go up when you steal stuff. It, come, it, come, it, it affects us. Are you with me? The guy behind the counter said, I didn't see anything. I said, you just saw it on the floor. I said, are you going to call the cops? He said, well, um, you know, I, I, I'm not authorized to do that. I said, it's just 911. You're authorized. So I said to the two boys, you either put that stuff back, I'll call the cops myself. And I said to the boy, I'm talking to your boss tomorrow. He's my next door neighbor. This matters. We belong. Isaiah 62, I don't even have the verse here. It just came to my mind. Isaiah 62 said that to your land will you be married. Not only do I, not only do I belong to a people, but I belong to a land. Listen, I'm not the greatest patriot in the world, but I'm an American. And if you're European or African or whatever, you should be, you have a land. It should matter to you. You should vote. This is all part of being responsible. It's all part of belonging. Well, President Trump, if Trump becomes president, I'm going to leave our country. Well, keep going. Keep going. We don't need... Uh, I'm not saying, listen, people said it with President Obama too. So this is not a political statement. It's a statement about belonging. If things don't go your way and you want to leave the country, we'll just keep going. We don't need people in our country that they don't get their way. 
when they don't get their way, they run off some other place. This is our land, and when things go bad, it's our problem. And when it goes good, it's our blessing. (laughs) You have kids in the nursery. I feel a question. I'm not going to go there. Oh, there's a lot of young moms that, uh, and single dads that need a break. So I, I don't want to shame anybody. But I'm simply saying, it's all of our responsibility. I'm trying to say. I, I'm trying to use an example. It wasn't, it wasn't going to go the place I meant it. Because I, I, I honestly don't want to shame anybody. I'm simply saying, don't come to church. Become the church. You see people out there flagging? They don't get paid for that. I love them. I came in this morning. There was eight guys. Early morning. Freaking freezing cold. Put on orange vests. None of those guys get paid. They're out there flagging early in the morning. I mean, that's not fun. I looked at those guys and I thought to myself, those guys God's going to make great. You know why? Because they care. They belong somewhere. They're like, what can I do? You can flag. Give me the flags. How do I point these things? When you drive by the flag guys, you should bless them. The women too, guys and girls. You should bless them. Give them stuff. Give them money. Bless them. Thank them. Especially when it's raining and cold and you're not in a good mood. And they're standing like, they make you stop. It's like, you just think about this. I I could be out there in the weather. Stopped. Instead of in here with the heater. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth with brightness. Do you get this? Like, for Zion's sake, I want, this is people like, they're in Zion, they're in Jerusalem, but I understand this also has implications for us. We're the heavenly Jerusalem, you get the idea. But I'm saying, even here, it's like, I will not keep silent. There's somebody cares, and they're like, I'm going to keep talking to God until you make our city bright. Yeah. Let me read the rest of it. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. We, we should pray this over our own city. Like, I understand it has spiritual implications, but how many know this has natural implications here? We should pray, Lord, for Reading's sake, we shouldn't keep silent. And for Reading's sake, we will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. Nations will see Reading's righteousness. And all the kings are glory. And we'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. How many know? Part of belonging is, I have a name. People are like, I don't know. There's like, I do understand partly, but I think when you emphasize man's name over God's name, that's a problem. But when Gideon went to battle, the people shouted, for the Lord... And for Gideon. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say that again because it is offensive. (laughs) When Gideon went out to battle, the people shouted, For the Lord and for Gideon. God said to Moses, Listen, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down in the mountain with a cloud and with lightning and thunder when we talk in front of the people. So he's talking, you can imagine, he's on the mountain talking to God. God's like, okay, you're going to go down the mountain, and you're going to tell the people these things. I wrote them on stone so you wouldn't forget. Okay, and while you're talking, I'm going to talk 
and there's going to be lightning and thunder. Listen to this. So that the people will believe in you forever, Moses. The Lord's my shepherd. He happens to be invisible. How do we know you're following him? He's the invisible man. Unless you're following people that he put in leadership in your life. I'd like to propose to you that the reason why you don't want a leader isn't because you don't like leaders, but you fear being rejected. And because you fear, you fear being rejected and you don't think leaders are going to like you, probably because your daddy or your mommy or somebody in your life screwed it up in your life. I know this well because I went through it myself. That when you say, I, the Lord's my shepherd, what you're really saying is, I fear that if I reach out to someone, if I follow someone, they'll fail me. And I'm going to tell you something, they will. Because they're human and they won't always get it right. <laughs> but they'll love you in the midst of it. And the love they have for you is much greater than the failure that they'll fail you with. There's no such thing as a perfect leader, except for Jesus. But would you rather have no dad or an imperfect dad? Some of you are like, imperfect. That's the fear of rejection. Did you hear what I said? When you have answers that say, I'd rather not have a dad, that's the fear of rejection. That's the fear of abandonment. That's the fear, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to fall in love with someone. I'm going to let someone be a mom in my life, and then they're going to walk away from me. And I'm telling you, like, there is no such thing as belonging without risk. To the level that people love you, they can hurt you. Let me say this again. No one can hurt you more than the person you love the most. This is why divorce is so, having experienced it, is so painful. Because intimacy is, Danny describes it as intimacy. You see, I let you into the deepest parts of my heart. And then in divorce court, you expose all my secrets for money. You told things that I said to you in bed that I never whispered to another soul. And you exposed them in our divorce. You, you didn't just... Divorce me, you, if you will, you betrayed me. And betrayal. In fact, do you know that we, what we call the Last Supper, the Bible calls on the night Jesus was betrayed? You know that phrase is repeated twice in the Bible after the betrayal? On the night he was betrayed. It wasn't called the Last Supper. It was called the night he was betrayed. That's how powerful betrayal is. But Jesus loved in the midst of betrayal. That's the point. When you belong, there is risk. But the greatest risk is not belonging at all. I, just, I want to finish with just a few things. Coming to him as living stones. You're not living bricks. There's a big difference between a brick and a stone. A brick, you can take one brick out and put another one in there. But you are not. Jesus didn't make his building up, it's a metaphor, of living bricks. He made them up of living stones. If you've ever done stonework, we just built a pond. And we're like, we, we went through this whole pile of stones to find one stone that fit in this exact spot. See, you're not a brick. You're a, 
stone. You're a living stone. There's nothing, there's no one else like you. Like, what you call weird, God calls unique. What you think you're going to be rejected for is the very thing that makes you stand out and no one else will fit there. Like, we need you to be you, and you belong when you're you. But when you try to be someone else, and you go, I don't fit in. No, you don't fit in because the place that we have for you, you became something different. You're like, I don't know where I don't belong anywhere. Yes, because you're a chameleon, you try to be everything. Just be you. Just be you. I don't like me. We like you. And the place we have in the wall fits the real you. Not the you you became so people will like you. I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. I'd rather be hated for who I really am. You hate me because you... I re- like, what I hate about Facebook is they hate me for they don't even know me. That's, it's so crazy. Like, He's this, this, and that. You never even met me. I mean, at least hate me for what I am. I remember looking at someone who wrote this thing about me, and it was absolutely true. And they were like saying all this terrible stuff, and I'm like, Kathy's <laughs> like, those people, I see, it's true. What they wrote about me is true. They don't like the real me. It's okay. Now, if that was all you all, that would be a problem. Six qualities of belonging. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Loyalty, write these down. I'm not going to talk about them tonight. Loyalty. I mean, loyalty is tested when we don't agree. Loyalty does not mean I agree. In fact, loyalty is tested when I don't agree. Sacrifice, you can't have a relationship without sacrifice. I'm going to get married, and we're going to... No, it ain't going to work like that. I know what you're thinking. You want to have a great marriage? Remember, marriage is a death march to a life camp. You've come to die. (laughs) And by the way, I want to tell you this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't fall, don't, 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 don't marry the person you fall in love with because a fall is an accident. And if you fall in love, then you can fall out of love. But listen, if you do fall in love, at least do on purpose what you did on accident. Did you hear me? If you fell in love, that's not going to sustain your marriage. You have to grow in love. Because if you fell in, then you could fall out. So what you did on accident, I fell, do it on purpose. Number three, honesty. Number four, these are the qualities of belonging, honesty. Number four, trust. Number five, authenticity, be real. Number six, persevere. People leave like, they have, oh, we're having a hard week. Well, good. (laughs) Trials don't make you the person you are, they just expose the person you were. Oh, I only have six. Okay, that's it. Loyalty, sacrifice. There's probably 50 more. These are the ones that came to mind. Honesty, trust, authenticity, and perseverance. I love uh, Bill quoted someone the other day. He said, I'm from the generation that doesn't throw things away. When they break, we fix them. I love that. And the final thing I want to say is ditch the cohabiting value system. Ditch the I'm here as long as it goes well attitude. That's not the kingdom at all. You were born in a covenant. You weren't born in a conference. 
You came to lay down your life. You came to die. When you come to Jesus, you came to die. So if you get any life back, awesome. That's more than you came for. Because you've come to die. Okay, that's a great note to finish on. It went all zeros right there. It's like, sign from heaven. But I've done enough. You belong. Let me finish. You belong. Peter said, you weren't sworn a people. You weren't sworn a people. But now, you are the people of God. Did you, did you get that? You weren't... You weren't... weren't it's time to stop preaching. You want you. You once weren't a people. Boy, you know when you get that in your head and you can't get it right. You once weren't a people, but now not only are you a people, follow me. You are the people of God. I'm seeing. I, I don't feel like I belong. You do. Well, what do I do with these feelings? Ditch them. Find responsibility, significance, ownership, sacrifice, perseverance. Get connected, look around, say, what can I do? I'm a part of a family. What can I do for my city? I'm a part of a city. This is my city. This is my store. This is my place. It's our father. It's not my father. Stop the my father prayers and start thinking our father. And then when you think, think of more than praying for you. Who else should I pray for? Did you see someone in the store that needed it? Are they in your city? I realize you should pray for people outside your city, but are they in your city? They should definitely be prayed for by you. Amen. Stand up. Let me bless you. Say this. I'm a child of the king. My God is my father. I'm a part of a family. I belong. And I have responsibility to this family and to this community and to this church because I'm a part of something bigger than me. I'm not the whole thing. I'm a piece of something bigger. I'm a significant piece and the role I play, I'm the only one who can play this exact role because I am uniquely made. I am a living stone. I am beloved by God. Nobody else has my fingerprints. No one else thinks exactly like me. I am very special. I am beloved by the Father. Jesus believes in me. He believes in me more than I believe in me. And I am trustworthy. I'm persevering. I'm sacrificial. I'm loving. And I love God. That's who I am. I just wanted you all to know that. That's who I am. Amen. God bless you. I want to do fire tunnel. Oh, come. Bless Joaquin. He's amazing. Thank you. Bless Chris. He's amazing. Uh, seriously, how, how many people really just appreciate Chris? I, uh, I think we should all just go on Facebook and just make positive comments just to tell them how much we love them. 
half joking about that. Just, just stay standing. We, we want to minister to some people. That was, just a, that was just a deep, personally impacting word, wasn't it? And we just want to take time just to minister to some people. So if we can have our, our prayer servants come to the front if you're here and uh, just, just begin to make your way to the front. And any prayer servants that are available, if you can come, that would be helpful. I know we have some people, uh, students out of town still. So anybody who's available, just come to the front. And uh, in just a minute, I'm going to invite you just to come if you want prayer, if you want ministry, especially if you felt that God was just really personally speaking to you and, and opening up some areas of your heart. Um, this team is just up here to partner with what God's already started in your heart. So um, as the team's coming, and again, any prayer servants that are available, just make your way to the front. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and bless you, just close the service, and then... At that point, if you want to come forward for prayer, you can do that. So, Father, just put your hand on your heart for me, if you can. And Father, we just thank you for such um, a deep, revelatory, but personally impactful message. God, I just pray that it would get to every place of every heart that's in this building and watching. And it would just do the work, Father, that you intend for it to do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Again, if, if, uh, if you want to come forward for prayer, you can do that. Otherwise, bless you. Happy New Year to you. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. On our website, ibethel.org, you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Joaquin Evans will be in Birmingham, Alabama, January 7th and 8th, and Bill Johnson will be in Ansan Si, Korea, January 8th through the 12th. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you. And be sure to send us your testimonies as well. Three weeks ago, I was speaking at a conference in South Africa. I had a team member of mine get up and share a testimony of how when she was a child, she struggled with spiritual oppression and didn't know how to handle it. The Lord had recently brought her through a journey of healing, and several people in the conference came up afterwards sharing similar testimonies of how they, as children, had experiences with spiritual oppression, and they didn't know what to do with it. And they carried that pain for years, and in the conference, they felt for the first time, not just the validation of that pain, but the healing of the Father's love in their hearts for those things they didn't know what to do with. We release the Father's love over you, that any childhood trauma that you've gone through, that not only can you experience the validation of that pain, but the healing that the Lord has for you also. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.